Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. If you'd please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Our text today is considering Galatians chapter 4. Verses 21 through 31. And so far in this letter, what we see is Paul is pleading with the Galatian church, pleading with them as some were starting to believe the Judaizers' false teaching, that in order to be justified or to be a spiritual Jew, that they needed to be circumcised basing their justification on the externals and missing the whole point that that external was pointing to an inward position. They were teaching that they needed to be circumcised fleshly and that they had to live according to the law to gain their justified status. They were beginning to legalistically follow some parts of the law, thinking that following the law would gain them justification as God's people. In doing so, Paul has written, they were making themselves slaves once again. They were going back, slaves again. Christ had made them free by their simple faith in the work that Jesus did in dying on the cross for their sins. So obviously, Paul has been making many arguments throughout this letter about their standing in Christ, recalling their identity in Christ, using strong language against the Judaizers, the false teacher. So here's the big overarching idea for today. We're going to see that Paul again uses the Old Testament scriptures to make a stark contrast between false gospel teachers and the true believers, true sons of Israel, true sons of Abraham, and how that worked in the grand scheme of history. So before we dive into 21 through 31, 21 through 31 is really... We're going to talk more about this later, but it's an allegory making this argument. And this allegory is a very similar argument to what we see in verses 8 through 20. So he's saying the same thing, but in a different way. And so he's going to start out in a minute in verse 21 with this allegory, setting another uh, example of what he's talking about. And he's basically asking them, what on earth, have you really thought through, have you really thought through the outcome of of what you're believing? Many of you have heard the expression, be careful what you wish for. You ever heard that? Be careful what you're wishing. It's often used as a call to someone about to make a huge decision And they do all to carefully consider what they do before they do it. It is often used as a call to warn others about what they are about to commit to. Another expression used to warn others is to be careful not not to bite off more than they can chew. Again, consider what you're about to do, right? The Bible describes it as, as counting the cost. And this is something we have to do all the time. Count the cost. Take careful consideration. 
practice self-examination. Search out the matter of about what, what you're about to do. Jesus used the illustration of building. Some start to build and then they realize they don't have enough to finish. For our kids, the caution is often put in terms to carefully think through and consider something before they do it. And that's how Paul starts this section. So he's calling them back again to consider the dangerous teachings of the Judaizers in 21 through 31. So Galatians 4, 21 through 31, I'm going to read the text and then pray, and then we'll just go phrase by phrase and unpack what he's saying here. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present or earthly Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the, with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help our hearts to be bound by the meaning of this text today for us. I pray that we will not be bound in slavery, that we would realize the freedom that we have in Christ, that we are born of the seed of the free woman, that we are children of promise, that we have laid up before us an inheritance that is incorruptible and set there for us in the day of Christ. So help us, Father, to pursue that, to shed off a slave's mindset, and to be free in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 21, it says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now Paul asks his readers who seem to want to live under the law if they even know really what that all entails, what the law really says to them. In other words, have they actually listened to the law for themselves, or are they just listening to the teachings of the Judaizers? Do they really understand what it's saying? He's issuing a call to consider fully what they are doing and the direction in their course of following that false teaching. It's like Paul is saying to them, I don't think you truly understand what you think you understand. Isn't there something in the Prince's Bride about that? Do you recall that? I don't think... 
you know what that really means, right? I, I don't remember how he put it. But are you really sure you know what it's saying? Sure you, do you really understand this and the full ramifications? In other words, are you sure you realize what you're getting yourself into? Into bondage, back into slavery. So Paul is asking them to think hard on what they're really being led to believe. To examine those beliefs to which they're subscribing. And this isn't just a one-time thing, is it? For the believer to consider your beliefs. Weren't these believers? He calls them brothers later, right? He calls them brothers. Brothers in Christ can start to be led to believe incorrectly. Wrong doctrine, wrong thinking about God has huge impacts on the course of our life. That's the book of Jude, isn't it? Go get them back out. Chase your brother down to, that they may escape hellfire, right? This is serious stuff, your beliefs. Have you considered your beliefs? Do you know your beliefs? Do you examine your beliefs? Do you question your beliefs? When you're off regarding God and you're reading the Word, do you go back to correct thinking about Him and His love and His grace and His mercies for you? And does that impact you? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to guard one another's doctrine, our beliefs, to guard the gospel, that deposit. It's a pure truth. Paul is very hard here, isn't he, in this letter about this? Because it's serious. We need to have that same heart for ourselves. The pastors should. Deacons, all of us here in this church, need to guard truth. To examine our beliefs to which we're subscribing. And when there's beliefs that are off, when it comes to beliefs of the gospel, we need to be very careful with one another to examine. So he goes on to help them to teach them, to examine what is really being taught by these false teachers, by these Judaizers, versus what the Bible really lays forth as the truth of God's Word. So he uses Scripture and allegory to go on to explain to them the true Gospel. Notice, and again, it's from the Scriptures. He's quoting Scripture. He's unpacking it for them. That's the only way that you and I can guard truth is with truth. With God's word, the authority of Scripture. We need the weight of Scripture on our lives to protect us. So he moves from verse 21 into 22, and it says, Notice these first few words, as I just mentioned. For it is what? Written. It is written. The greatest strength that you and I can have in life is it is written. God's word. This life, circumstances, other people, yourself, all of us, we fail. But there is only one thing that stands firm. And it's God's truth. You and I are going to go through hardships. Trouble, difficulty, your marriages. The only thing that can bind you and keep you stable is God's word, his truth. 
And so Paul writes here, it is written. He is not giving them his own wisdom. My wisdom, your wisdom, it fails. When you're in trouble and difficulty and you're trying to rack your brain to figure a way out, and you're trying to to lean on your own understanding, it will fail. We need God's word. We need his truth. If you're struggling today in your marriage, you're struggling with life, pain, and turmoil, run to Christ through the word. He is the word made flesh. Run to Christ in the scriptures. So he says, it is written. And then he teaches them. Here's what he says, that Abraham had two sons, and if you're following along today in your, your notes, you're going to see that he really lays out the contrast and comparison between Ishmael and Isaac, the slave woman, the free woman. So I have a graph here for you. He's going to unpack this, contrasting these things. And he starts out here, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. So again, Paul doesn't give them human wisdom. The authority that Paul rests on in the Galatians is the very word of God. He's pointing them back to the truth, the Old Testament scriptures. Paul has been holding to the grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to God's word alone. And he says, it is written, he's resting his argument in the story of Genesis, in the life of Abraham again. And the power of the gospel comes through the living pages of the scriptures, all of God's word. So brothers and sisters, do you realize again that power of God in your life cannot be evidenced with a closed Bible. A closed Bible keeps a closed heart, a closed mind, and a proud one at that. The pages of Scripture is where we see Christ's love. And so he teaches and applies the Old Testament. And two things we see here Abraham is our father of faith. It's all about faith, he's the father of promise. Our father of promise had two sons from two different women. Those women represent a woman of slavery, the other is a woman of freedom. Is there a middle road? Is there a third woman where you're kind of sort of free but not free? Do you feel that way sometimes by the way you live? Like you're bouncing back and forth between the two? But he's drawing this contrast to provide clarity for belief. So it's not fuzzy. This book of Galatians is all about freedom in Christ versus bondage, and it needs to be crystallized and clear what that means. So he puts the stark division between slave and free. And in this passage today, he divides Hagar and Sarah into two covenants in two ways, and step by step we see, we will seek to make sense of this. So you can kind of follow along with the graph as we unpack the rest of this text. Verse 23 says this, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise, God's word. So we have this analogy that the slave woman who bore the slave son represents what? Flesh. Bondage. There was no word of promise. No word of redemptive hope. This is crucial to understanding the state of ourselves in our sin, in our need for Christ. In Abraham and Sarah's hopeless state, as they were seeking to receive God's truth and the promised son, what did they do in order to receive that promise when he was 85 years old? 
What did Abraham and Sarah resort to? And here's the word we're going to talk about for a minute. It's pragmatism. They tried to resolve it their own way. Did it work well? No. And I I can guarantee that every single one of us in this room have at least once in our life looked at God's promises and we tried to have those promises, but we tried to do it our own way. And it brings nothing but misery and distress on yourself and on everyone you love. And I have done that. They resorted to pragmatism. They sought their own wisdom to accomplish having a son in their own way, and they resorted to sin. This was, that's why it's called fleshly. Way of seeking to obtain God's promise of a son but their own way. The free woman who bore a son, though, bore a son of freedom and the son of God's promise. Right? So there is no promise. There's no word of hope, of eternal hope for the slave woman and for Ishmael. There was a word of promise from before time, a promise to Abraham and Sarah. That word of promise is seen throughout his life, going all the way back years and years before to Genesis 12, 1 through 3 and in verse 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, go to your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And notice all the eyes that God's giving here. God is saying, I will, I will, right? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. But Abraham thought, I know you said that, but I'm going to go try to do what I want to do and do it our own way, in a fleshly way, in order to get that. And it brought misery. The Lord continues, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. God's protection there. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And because of all the time that had passed, and because it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, they resorted to flesh. Genesis 15, 4 through 6, Then the word of the Lord came to him. Again, this is to Abraham. And God said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, and he pointed up to the stars, Look up at the sky, count the stars. And again, who made them? God did. And he said, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Faith. Simple faith. Abraham was given a clear word from the Lord. Did he have faith? Yes. It said he had faith. But even though he had faith, he still faltered. He was told that Sarah would bear a child, that he would be the father of all nations, the father of faith. And yet he listened to his own pragmatism, and he took, the Bible says, a wife of flesh. So Paul continues in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. So follow along with me in verse 24. These women, Hagar and Sarah, are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is kind of referring to her location and who her people would be. 
She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. That means the earthly, the temporal Jerusalem, the here and now. For she is in slavery with her children. So that's the line of slavery. Hagar. But the Jerusalem above, okay? And this isn't a location. When it talks about this Jerusalem that's above, this isn't heaven someday. This is talking about the faith that comes from God's promises to you now so that God's kingdom is here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's prayer. That we live this way now. Have faith now, okay? So this isn't a location. This is an analogy of talking about true faith in the kingdom of God here. For the Jerusalem above, the faith that came from God above to us, is free. It's a free grace. That's astounding. You and I don't earn it. We cannot work for this. If God has given it to you, is he going to let you lose it? No. This is free grace. Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. And again, he uses scripture. For it is written. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Is it hard to rejoice when you're barren? This takes the work of the gospel to learn how to do this. To rejoice in the middle of circumstantial suffering, hardship, trial, tribulations. God, you said, you said, you said, but where is it? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one, that's Sarah, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Doesn't make sense, right? This goes against our grain. This is the process of crushing and pain and turmoil. Now it gets a little more complicated here and there's some difficulty understanding all that Paul is seeking to get across to the Galatian church. This isn't an easy passage today. But basically he is saying that the bondservant who bore Ishmael did receive a temporal promise from God, didn't she? She did. There was an understanding and promise made to her too, wasn't there? After the fact. Even though she was cast out. But this blessing is earthly. It's born from flesh. It was born of a pragmatic mistake. It was not born of faith or a heavenly promise. So turn with me to Genesis 16 really quickly, because I want you to really see the passage about Hagar and how God was kind to her. God was so kind to Hagar as well. Even in the midst of sin and wrongdoing, God comes through and is kind. Genesis 16 says this, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her, a surrogate. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, you want me to go have a baby with this woman? All right, let's go do that. So he decided. 
So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Well, yeah. How many of you wives out there would appreciate that? Your husband's sleeping with another woman. That's not natural, is it? Here, yeah, go do that. No. And Sarah said to Abram, so Sarah says to Abram, rightly so now, right? May the wrong done to me be on you. He's the head, he's the head isn't he? If there's sin in the home, who takes the brunt of that and must take it and fix it? Men, let's wake up. Who's the head of the home? The woman or the man? So when there's sin, he must bear that weight. So Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. And, and here's what Sarah says, may the Lord judge between you and me. So she desires to live before the face of God too. We must, the situation has to be judged now. Right? So is that how you guys handle marriage difficulties? Do you go before the face of God? Work through those things. Men, do you bear the weight of that when there's wrong done in the home and say, I was wrong? Wives, you say, God will judge this matter. We're going to have to work through this. This is what they do. And so Abram says to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And and it's hard for us to understand this context in our world where we don't believe in slavery. Okay? But back then, this is how it was. Notice what Sarah does, though. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her. Where does Hagar go? She flees. She fled from her. Genesis 16, 7, the angel of the Lord found her. And I want you to see this, though. That in the midst of sin and pain and brokenness, what God does for Hagar. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? That's a language. I, I care about where you've been. I care about your future. God loved her, cared for her. She was somewhat of a victim here, wasn't she? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, doubt she wanted to hear this, but return to your mistress. Here's a tough one. Submit to her. Submit. The angel of the Lord also said to her, notice this earthly promise that he he gives her here. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. God blessed her too. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. No matter where you're at today in life, please know 
God takes note of your affliction. He loves you. He cares where you've been and where you're going. He wants to bless you. The Lord has listened to your affliction. And he goes on, though, to say, here's what God has chosen. Because God chooses. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. There is going to be pain because of this. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. It's going to be strife. And folks, from the line of Ishmael, have we not seen for thousands of years that promise that there is strife because of the brokenness of this world and because of our sin? But she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. So she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And she said this, you are a God of seeing. If you don't think God sees, he's a seeing God. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad, and Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So God did bless Hagar. And we see to this day that the promise made to her was reaction to the sinful pragmatic situation and it still stands in an earthly sense god was kind to her he heard her and he cared for her but the promise was not one of eternal promise in the sense of spiritual blessing but earthly where hagar was blessed in an earthly sense sarah could rejoice in the midst of her barrenness for the next 15 years waiting Because she was given a promise that would come. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So there was a great reversal coming from barrenness to fruitfulness, from despair to joy, from desolation to immense blessing. And all of this was promised by God to Sarah and to her descendants. It could only be accomplished by the direct, sovereign movement of God himself. God wants to show us how he moves, how he works, despite our circumstances. So Paul points out from this passage that that God calls for rejoicing, not lamentation, not sorrow, but as a God who holds true to his promises. Maybe not in our timetable, but he is true to his promises. So we too must rejoice, for we are children of Abraham, sons of Sarah through faith in Christ. Paul continues to contrast and bring home the seriousness of being an heir of Sarah, the weight of that, the freedom in that. To be in the line of eternal promise. Now that Paul has set the stage to offer the theological grid with the use of this allegory from the authority of Scripture, he moves then to a practical application to the Galatian believers in verse 28. Now you, and notice he calls them what? Brothers. Okay? So he knows that they have faith. It's shaking, but they have faith. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. You are not from the line of the slave woman. You are not from a line of earthly promise, but heavenly promise. So here's what Paul is saying in verse 28. 
Paul calls them brothers. This is an indication, again, that he's convinced that they are a part of the family of God. They are from Isaac. They're from Sarah. They're from Abraham. They belong to the family of God. These Galatians were most likely from the, actually from though, which line? In an earthly sense. These Galatians were what? Gentiles. But Paul is calling them descendants of Sarah, of Abraham, and calls these Judaizers from the line of Hagar that they are enslaved and enslaving. That's an incredible switch, isn't it? So these Jews claiming to be of Abraham are actually of Hagar. And then these who came in a fleshly sense from Hagar are actually from the line of Sarah. So he flips this, and he shows the true reality of this. So then in verse 29, But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is also now. So just like Ishmael and his descendants mocked and persecuted God's people, they were uh, these children of promise. So the Judaizers, those who are claiming to uphold the law, are harming these people with the law with false teaching. He is calling these Judaizers children of Ishmael, children of the slave woman. This is a smack in their face, and rightly so. This was a huge insult to these Judaizers. You're from the line of Hagar. You are being ruled like that wild man that was promised to her in Genesis 16. He totally uncovered their wrong thinking. They are following these Judaizers into the wilderness, into slavery, leaving their freedom behind, moving in the wrong direction. So what are we to do with these Judaizers? With people who enslave? Verse 30, what do the scriptures say? Again, what does the Bible say? In verse 30, it says that right there. But what do the scriptures say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So here's what Paul is referring to in Genesis 21. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham... Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your, uh, for through Isaac shall your offspring be blessed. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, sent her away, and she departed and wandered into Beersheba. And again, we see God's kindness to her. Her child was off in the bushes. It looked like they were going to die. There was no water. And she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. 
And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes. She found the water. The boy grew and lived. The son of the slave woman got nothing, though. No inheritance from Abraham. All that Hagar got was some bread and a skin of water. God did bless and care for Hagar and for Ishmael, but not with eternal blessings. So here's the analogy, though. We see that Paul is calling the Galatian church to several things. Number one, cast out the Judaizers. They're in the line of Hagar. They are of the slave woman. Just as Sarah said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman. These Judaizers here with the analogy, they are of what woman? The slave woman, what is he telling them to do in this church to the slave woman, the Judaizers? By analogy, cast them out. Cast out those who are twisting the gospel. Cast out those who are teaching a false gospel. Those who twist the word, don't rest in the word. Those who add a little bit of poison to it. Just like Abraham was told to cast out this slave woman, He is using the analogy of Abraham casting out Hagar to tell the Galatian church they are to cast out those who are in the line of Ishmael, these Judaizers, children of Hagar, who are not children of promise. So here's the point for us today. We are, the church is to have no tolerance of those who would sway others to a different gospel. No tolerance. We are to be careful to examine the Word of God, study it carefully and completely, and teach the simple and the right gospel. There are different ways that messages can be preached, and the Bible deals with various sins within the church differently, doesn't he? There are different ways that we can preach false gospels. We have to confess that and to watch that. For example, we can preach a different gospel with our sexuality. Did you know that? What we do with our sexuality is a form of preaching. Your marriage is symbolic of Christ and the church. It is the first visible sermon illustration in scriptures. God gave Eve to Adam and he lied with her. Late, had lain, late, help me out, uh, English people. Lain with her. Right? He sang to her. Your marriage is so important. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So when we sin, we must confess that, forsake that, keep short accounts, make things right, care for them, cover them. Wives to the husbands. Our marriage is a visible sermon illustration. It is a sacramental picture, though it's not a sacrament. And it's a means of grace to making us better as people, Lord willing. So you can preach a different gospel with your sexuality. Unrepentant sexual sins that are public. You have 1 Corinthians 5, don't you? The purity of the church is so important when it comes to not only its theological and relational ethics, but also its sexual ethics. Men being men. Women being women. Our roles. And also what we do with our bodies matters greatly to God. Whether it's behind a computer screen 
or with another body, with another person. 1 Corinthians 5 says what to do about casting out. It says the man who is sleeping with his mother-in-law and was not, and was not repentant, notice there's repentance that's at play here, whether it's there or not. Okay, He was not repentant. That's key. The man that was unrepentant says, get him out. And he said, I've already judged him. Get him out. Your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit should be treated as such. Do you not know that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you understand that? That is the scriptures. I didn't come up with that. If you are here today and living in sexual immorality or ongoing sexual sin and you're not fighting it and you're not repentant and you have no conviction over what you've done, then you're on your way to hell. Run to Christ and find freedom. To tell you otherwise is to give you a false gospel. Scriptures are clear on sexual ethics. Number two, you can preach a different gospel by the way you talk about the brethren. This is an ongoing thing that should be intentional in our lives, that we're careful with how we speak about one another. To divide that which God has unified is a grave sin to Christ and is to divide his very body. Christ died to gather people in, so when we come to divide that which God has unified through faith and repentance and walking in newness of life, we do desecrate the Lord's very body. That is the picture of the Lord's table, isn't it? For those who are being divisive with their tongues in the church, those who are seeking to slander, to cut, to vide, to get two warnings in Scripture. Book of Titus is very clear on this, that the sins of the tongue, if ongoingly divisive, can be a form of preaching a different gospel, and the Bible calls for sharp rebuke and for two warnings on those false gospel displays, especially that come from forked tongues. Cast out those who are preaching a different gospel. Finally, the gospel is preached and content matters. The content does matter. So Paul says, just as Sarah told Abraham to cast out the slave woman, so we ought to cast out the slave woman whom he equates with the false teachers, those who are teaching justification by works. The gospel is this serious that we cast out all teachers who would call us back into slavery into the bondage of seeking to win our justification before God with good works. Are you dying to your good works? Talk about resting in good works for salvation. Finally, our Father in heaven loves us so much that when we seek to earn more favor with him, while he stands there already pouring out his immense and vast love for you and me, we do grieve his heart. He's offering it, but we're not accepting it. We're trying to earn it when it's already there. That is an affront to him. The gospel says you are free in Christ because he chose you to be the children of Abraham, children of promise in Christ before the world began. It wasn't because you were so good and so great. His glory and his grace covers your sins. You can never pay it all. Christ did. So we are to live in light of that. The gospel is that he conquered sin death and hell for you and for me. We did nothing but sin. He called us forth from the grave, much like Lazarus, when he said, come forth. We saw that last week, and that was sweet. 
So we are to cast out the slave woman, the one who preaches a different gospel. Be careful the sermons you listen to. Be careful the preachers you listen to. Use discretion. If, if there's not much scripture there, watch it. When there's not much scripture being unpacked, opinions flood. Are we casting out the slave woman within us? Within ourselves? This is my final call. The enemy lurks within all of our hearts. We are so easily swayed by earthly things. We are to cast out, the Bible says, all vain things and imaginations that sets itself up against God. Is God first? Is God everything? Do we love him with everything in us? We're to war against our own flesh and pride, to put to death the deeds of the body, to put to death anything that sets itself up against God. Are we dying to our own works? Do we really believe that our righteousness is as filthy rags? They are. They're putrid. But are we resting in the grace that God so richly provides? Are we living in the freedom that is ours in Christ. He says you are forgiven if you're in Christ. If you're here today and you have yet to come from darkness to life, to light, excuse me, from death to life, if you have not ever confessed your sins and your need for Christ, if you have not repented of your sins and turned to the love of Christ, if you're still counting on your own righteousness to be made right before God, I beg of you today, come be free. Be born of the free woman. Call out on the name of the Lord and be saved. Trust in Christ. Become a child of promise and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross for you. Be free. Confess your sins of trying to do enough good works to be made right. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I pray that if you do not know God today, that you will simply do that. Trust in Christ. The Father is willing to forgive. He's not willing that any should perish. He desires all to come to faith. For those of you who have come to faith in Christ, verse 31. And close with this. This is beautiful. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And so what does he call them to do? Rejoice. That's central to this passage. Rejoice. We are born of the free woman. Let us rejoice in the grace that God so richly provides. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you, are, you will just simply call our hearts to rest in this simple truth today. That we are born of the free woman. If we have Christ, we have all that we need. We have everything that we need in Christ. All the promises of God are fulfilled in him, and we have that because of him. So, Father, call us to freedom. May we walk in freedom and that forgiveness that, that wipes away our sins through Christ's blood and his righteousness. Help us to walk in that freedom today. Help us to cast out that slave woman in our heart that blocks the beauty of Christ, 
that doubts the love of God, that twists the gospel, saying it's not good enough what Christ did, you have to do more. Help us to live in the truth that Christ did it all. So all to him we owe. But we thank you that we're free. That his blood has set us free. That his blood flows through our veins and that through him we are alive and no longer dead. Help us to not go back, but to run to Christ and see all the freedom and the joy and the beauty of knowing him. So Father, set us free. If there are some here today, Father, who are not free, set them free. Christ came to break that chains and to make blind eyes see and to set the prisoner free. So, so do that today. Father, marriages that are suffering, would they walk in the gospel, be free? Those, Father, who are maybe bound in sin, set them free. And if there are some who don't know you, may they come to Christ. Help us to be a church, Father, that walks in freedom. Freedom with one another freedom with our God, freedom in Christ, and freedom in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.